On March 22nd, 1972, The Godfather opened up in two theaters in Los Angeles, California. It had already wowed audiences in its limited releases in New York City and Toronto, Canada. The Los Angeles audience was wrapped with attention seeing the saga of the Corleone Italian crime family played out on screen. When the film ended, the audience burst into applause and then fell into a deep silence as they sat in their seats and contemplated what they had just seen. Suddenly, the silence was broken with the lone voice of a man from the back of the theater shouting out, that was bullshit. That man was Duke Mitchell, and he financed, produced, wrote, directed, starred in, and sang the songs on the soundtrack for the film we're watching tonight, Massacre Mafia Style. Here's a movie that you never seen. The map is some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There'll be smiles. There'll be tears. You won't watch a movie for about eight billion years. It's time for death by video. Time for death by video. And now the show will begin. It's death by video. I'm Phil. I'm Kit. I'm Graham, and we are joined by a very special guest, Chrissy Foley. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Okay. Yay. So, guys, uh, Massacre Mafia style. I'm assuming it's a first-time watch for all of us involved in this podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, Chrissy, uh, Kit, Phil, and I uh, watched Gone with the Pope way back in episode... What I wrote that down, actually. Nine or uh, ten or something? We're familiar is, with the work of Duke Mitchell. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, episode seven was when we watched Gone yeah. with the Pope. And I do want to say that this movie is his more mainstream of the two. There's a lot more, less free-flowing scenes of thoughts and ideas just spewing out of his mouth while he talks about kidnapping the Pope. Um, so, yeah. Well, I have to say it does make me want to watch his other work, what, whatever there is the Pope one, but yeah. Yeah, you should definitely watch Gone with the Pope. It is an experience. He kidnaps the Pope. But it's less coherent than this one? This wasn't very coherent either. Mm. No, no. (laughs) To be fair, it's basically, how I would describe this movie is it's basically like the uh, the confirmation scene from Godfather with like Mo Green getting shot in the eye for like the entire run of the film. Yes. He does have a thing with the eyes. That mm-hmm. is true. Yeah. 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 Eye trauma also a big theme on uh Death mm-hmm. by Video. Yeah. So many oh. movies where people yeah. just get <laughs> stuff shoved in their eyes. We should actually just start writing movies on how how good they are for eye trauma. Like yes. uh, <laughs> the eye trauma rating, yeah. Like One eyeball, two eyeballs, three eyeballs. Yes. <laughs> All right, so uh, we first discussed Duke Mitchell way back in episode seven, like we were saying when we discussed this film, Gone with the Pope. So I'll just do a quick recap on who Duke Mitchell is. He was born Dominic Salvatore Maselli in Farrell, Pennsylvania. Uh, His singing career started in the late 1940s, and he was a contemporary of Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. Uh, It was this time singing in nightclubs that he encountered gangsters, which inspired the characters in Massacre Mafia style. Uh, and Massacre Mafia style was a direct reaction to The Godfather when he saw it and thought that this didn't reflect the actual people that he knew in the industry at all. Um, yes, Kit? 
Well, it's just, I mean, it's basically he's doing The Godfather, though. I mean, that's that's what it is. Yeah, it's just a lower scummy. budget. <laughs> it's I mean, they literally yeah. reference The Godfather. I mean, they don't actually say The Godfather, but when he's having that conversation with his father, they said, they made a movie about you. And yeah. I mean... A movie that will not be named. <laughs> yeah. You know the one. Yeah, well, I mean, Duke Mitchell knows about being sued. Um, so he started a nightclub act in 1951 with comedian Sammy Petrillo, uh, and basically Mitchell's crooning mixed with Petrillo's manic energy led them to be compared to Martin and Lewis. That's charitable saying they were compared to them. They just ripped them off. Um, and Jerry Lewis ended up suing them. Uh, it's interesting because Petrillo was actually discovered in a Jerry Lewis, uh, look impersonator contest. And Jerry Lewis actually hired him to appear on one of his specials playing, a younger version of himself. So very lots of meta stuff going on. Lewis wound up dropping the lawsuit and Mitchell and Petrillo, uh, they ended up making a very terrible film called Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla. Uh, so it is a film with a terrible reputation. Martin Landau watched it in preparation for his performance as Lugosi in Ed Wood. And Landau described the film as making the cinema of Ed Wood look like gone with the wind. Uh, um, and basically uh, Bela Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla was Mitchell's last film until he met until he made Massacre Mafia style nearly 20 years later um, and so yeah so that's that's what brings us to Massacre Mafia style um, should we get into the plot we can certainly try <laughs> all right so uh, yeah. so Percy, uh, being our guest uh Start start us off. Where does it where does the film begin? Well, the film certainly starts with a bang because uh they just really dive into that violence like that that the massacring, right? And so yeah. what I loved a lot is the random um cuts to the the shooting sprees and mm-hmm. just the random violence. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Hit. Well, I just uh, want to say that it, it starts where any good film should start with an elevator door opening yes. um, and then just a bunch of gunplay. Uh, yeah. And then this man in the in the wheelchair, the lawyer yeah. in the office, the they don't explain it, why he was in a wheelchair. And I mean, speaking of elevators, uh, the, the little boy <laughs> that they meet, they don't explain a lot of characters or backstories but um what is with the little boy and they caress him in the elevator yeah so so just to set the scene uh i'll just go through the the intro real quick they they go to some uh lawyer's office two guys one of them um our our boy duke mitchell and the other guy a guy named charlie rizzo so it's mr rizzo and mr uh michelli um and then they go and um they go to a guy's office they say we're here to see him she rings him through they go in, and um, I, I don't even know quite how to describe the murder here. It's like, first, Duke fumbles his gun out kind of hilariously. Like, he goes, I'm here to kill you! And then he, like, reaches for his gun and barely, like, hangs on to it. Um, and then they... Yeah, they're very upfront, for sure. They're like, very upfront. We're here to kill you. But they don't <laughs> end up shooting him. He puts the gun away almost immediately, because what they are going to do is going to wheel him into the... Um, Men's room. And I, I think he has a recording device on his shin or something like that is what I'm to understand or some sort of electronic device. 
um, and they electrocute him by putting that into the urinal. Is that what happens, Graham? Okay. So here's here's what because I've seen I rewatched this scene a couple times. Um, so he the guy in the wheelchair it, he has a brace that's a metal brace that they stick into the water. Now, if you notice at the start when they go in, uh, Duke Mitchell knocks over his lamp, and what he's doing is he's ripping out the cord from the lamp. So they're going to plug the ripped out cord into the wall and then put the exposed ends of the wire into the into the urinal to electrocute him, which wouldn't kill him. There's at most like f- maybe 60 watts of electricity in that. <laughs> but it's like it's such a... He has a bad day, though, at least. Yeah. So they electrocute him that way. The interesting thing about that is that that was actually based on something that really happened. Um, where Oh, yeah. So... Duke Mitchell actually did this to a person. There was a stage man, a corrupt stage manager named Maurice Duke, and who was in a wheelchair. And Duke Mitchell was so angry at him for ripping him off that he actually like wheeled him into, uh, into into a into a bathroom and put his foot in a urinal and like plugged in like some electric device into a, into the wall and just shocked him with it. So uh, so that's the filmmaker behind. But I guess this man, like the original story. This man was in a wheelchair, which explains why perhaps Duke put the character in a wheelchair as well. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Very bizarre. Yes, Kit? Well, anyway, then just the rest of the thing is they go through the the law office. First, they come out, they shoot the secretary in the head Mm -hmm. after being, you know, after playing this whole game of can I see your boss? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just go around and hilariously murder people who apparently this, this office is very soundproof because nobody hears this coming. <laughs> Everyone is totally surprised when yeah. they get shot to death all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And they kill like, I don't know, 15 people in that law office. They're just shooting left and right. Yeah. Um, sorry, Phil. We're three minutes in. We have two urinal deaths. That's mm-hmm. true. <laughs> oh, yeah. They shoot a guy in the back who's just taking a pee. And yeah. then he sinks and his face lowers into the urinal. And I guess he also pounds. Yeah. Um, and then that's when we get to the part. Um, they go into the, the elevator after shooting the poor uh, uh, janitor that comes out of the elevator with his mop bucket. And they take the elevator down and then this little black child comes in. And they just and come they the kid. But in a sort of weird, loving Italian way, they just grab him by the face and pinch his cheeks. And they're both stroking his hair. Also Biden-like. Yeah, and then they don't kill him, uh, Graham. <laughs> well, I think the the point of that scene is to show that, like, because what we learn later on is that the massacre actually is a is a flash forward to the end of the movie when they're yes. killing everybody in Los Angeles. And I think the whole point of that scene is to show that, like, his whole um, the voiceover towards the end of the movie is Duke Mitchell saying, "We just got to kill everybody." And I think this like little kid that wanders in is probably like a son or a nephew of someone that worked in the building. And so when Duke has his hands on his face, like if you notice for a while, his hands are like almost on his neck and you're just like, oh, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? And then um, what's his name? Rizzo. I always call him Jolly. Just puts his hand on his shoulder, shoulder and it's like, no, no, no. And then they just leave the, the kid in the elevator. So it's kind of like that thing of uh, setting up like this guy could kill a kid, but he's deciding not to. Maybe trying to add a little redeeming fa- flavor to the, the butchery that we open the movie on. Also all the uh, uh, racism. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, he goes on a whole speech. I think a racially troublesome speech about black. <laughs> racially <people>. troublesome. <laughs> yeah, about black people, 
And I mean, the way that the, I think it's Jolly or it's friends. Well, both of them change the way that they talk when they're talking to that pimp in that restaurant. Yeah. All of a sudden they start saying jive. As if they're trying to relate on his level and speaks in a way that he would understand. Um, the black man would understand. And then he, he yeah. The, the uh, pimp, by the way, who they call Super Spook. I, I think Spook is, an old, Spook is an old racial yeah, yeah, slur, yeah. I believe. Yeah. It is, yes. I mean, he gives them a whole speech about the difference between black men and the other kind. I mean, yeah. So... To his face in this whole slang street talk, um, it's bewildering. <laughs> so the interesting thing is that the character of Jolly was actually written for a different person who was actually a black man who was a friend of, of Duke Mitchell. So I'm interested to know if they changed his dialogue or that was meant to be a self-reflection on being black in Los Angeles. I mean, because he's noticeably, he does not talk like that in yeah. any part of the film. It's just that scene. So yeah. I don't, yeah. Yeah, it's very yeah. bizarre. I do have to say that, yeah, there's so much pro- problematic stuff in this movie, but it wouldn't be a Duke Mitchell movie if it wasn't. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? So the interesting thing, a, a subplot of this film is basically Duke Mitchell saying that like the mafia, there's no point for it anymore. And like, there's no point for pimps and, and, and like those people, cause you can't really buy off cops the way you used to, uh, which is also kind of the plot of the, of, uh, of the deuce season three. So I'm like, Oh wow. This movie was saying this like 10 years before the deuce season, when the deuce season three was set. Um, so back to the plot of the film, we basically end the massacre and it turns out that's a flash forward. And then we go to Sicily, Italy, where, um, where, his, where Mimi, that's his name, uh, and his father and his young son, we see his young son being baptized. And he basically says like, my wife will be dead in like a year or something from cancer. And that's all she wrote for him, for her. And Uncurable cancer, the worst kind. Right. I was going to note the incurable cancer was <laughs> worth the narration in this film. I just have to say overall is, uh, is fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then basically, uh, we learn that Duke and sorry, uh, that Mimi and his father were, were, uh, what's the term they were, uh, when exiled. you get kicked out, hmm? exiled to yes. Sicily, but what's the legal term? Not exported. Yes. Deported. Deported. Deported yeah. And I, I love this line here. Cause he was like, uh, yeah, he was uh, exiled for no reason. Just what he'd done against American laws. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> Oh, you broke the law. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Reasons. Yeah, probably a big one. Uh, but I had to laugh when Duke Mitchell said, I was exiled when I was 15. Pop, you've been here for 16 years. And I'm like, wait, you're 31? Like, That's <laughs> 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 a hard life in Sicily. That Sicilian son just beats down on you. <laughs> Duke Mitchell was born in 1926. <laughs> like, you are not 31 in 1974. This is just, this is like an early version of The Irishman. This is basically, it's a young Robert De Niro in that film. Well, if you do notice that Duke Mitchell does, his hair is colored darker and he doesn't have any facial hair. Yeah. Um, and then later on in the movie, like his hair goes gray. I guess he was just like not putting in the shoe polish on those mornings. And, um, and then like grew a mustache, a mighty mustache, I should say. As you do when you get older. Mm-hmm. 
And so this is where uh, Mimi decides that he's going to go back to the States to go to Los Angeles to, uh, to get in there, to go after the, the, the drug pushers and the pimps. And Phil, where do we go from there? Isn't it the pimps and the bookmakers? That's what they're... Yeah. Yeah. Not the druggies. They're cool. Uh, the pimps and the bookmakers. <laughs> and the bookmakers. Mm-hmm. Wait, so where are we at now? So, okay, so he's meeting with Jolly and... Yes. Uh, By the way, I love Duke Mitchell's montages because he just shoots life as it was when, mm-hmm. when it was happening. Like, you know he didn't have a permit for any of those bars. He just walked in there. He's like, me and my friend with this camera here, we want to, like film a little bit while we're inside. Do you mind? And I'm sure he was charming enough that everyone's like, no, you sang here last Thursday. Of course, take a walk around <laughs> while he's shooting scenes for his movie. Yeah, so we got more voiceover narration. Duke Mitchell, he goes, heads off to Los Angeles, and Jolly is the only dude in Los Angeles he knows. And uh, then uh, they plot to uh, take over the uh, Los Angeles outfit. Yes, kid. Well, one of the uh, one of the good bits of narration here is that they're gonna they're gonna take back uh, the outfits with with guts, balls, and trust. It's the three things you need. <laughs> yes. Right. And then they kidnap a guy straight out of church. Amazing! Yeah. Their first plot. Yes. I mean, <laughs> and he went slowly too. Like they just walk up to this guy in a pew, and, he, and they're like, "Come with us." And he's like, "Well, I guess I'll come with you." And there was no resistance. Yeah, absolutely. The guy was like, like, this is what happens now, I guess. Yeah. And by the way, you can tell from the angle that the camera was up in the balcony and they were just like, just go sit down with somebody and then we'll come down and get you. And nobody will know the difference. And they, that's totally what they did. Wait until I tell you the story behind filming the wedding scene. You're going to lose <laughs> your mind. Uh, go ahead, Phil. Well, I guess you're not going to make much of a scene in church. No. Especially at gunpoint. It'll just be a... Uh... Mm-hmm. Cool as a cucumber. An Italian in a Catholic church in 1974? No, they're not doing no, nothing. No, no, no. Um, this guy's like a like a capo or whatever. He's like a he's like a boss. Yeah, whose son is getting married soon. So we then get the scene of the son, and, and by the way, the son's hair in this movie just drove me up a wall. So that's like a perm. That, that perm nerf head. <laughs> oh God, like dude, like the 70s were not kind to men's hair, like. And this is, I love seeing movies like this where you see like what men's hair really look. Because we always see like, oh, David Bowie or, you know, somebody like Warren Beatty from the 70s. You don't see like the real hair where it was just like unkempt. They just like just sprayed a whole bunch of crap in it and combed it back. And that's what it was. a fight between the women and the men who could have the bigger hair. Exactly. The the men's hair in this reminded me of the men's hair that we saw in... uh, Hair clubs kind of, for men commercials. No, I was going to say in uh, in another Son of Sam, and uh, oh, yeah. and of course the infamous the Zodiac Killer. By the way, Chrissy, mm-hmm. like I'm I'm pretty sure you've never seen the Zodiac Killer, the movie, the Zodiac Killer from 19. It was actually released while the Zodiac was active. Yes, Kit. No, no. Oh yeah. Oh no, never no, no, mind. I saw no. the Zodiac, the famous one with Mark Ruffalo. And yeah, but trust me, the Zodiac Killer, the movie, is something else. Am I remembering the Zodiac Killer correctly where it's not even really about the Zodiac in a way? I think maybe you're thinking of Another Son of Sam. Another Son of Sam definitely isn't. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, Okay, so back to the movie. So now they send the the wife and son of this capo his finger with a ring on it. 
And the wife is like on the phone, like, I haven't seen your father in two days. And the son's like, I'm sure he's just out and about, ma. <laughs> yes, Chrissy? The dialogue with that, that wife, that woman, like the phone conversation, every time they gave that actress dialogue, it was amazing. It's the flattest. I the, the, the delivery. Yeah. Her, I don't think she was an actress. <laughs> Whoa. Her is amazing, though. Just because she's constantly just like, why, why am I putting up with this? Like constant, this, this, this asshole that comes in. I, I don't want to give too much away. Well, whatever. We're describing the movie, but um, uh, he becomes partners with this guy. He kidnaps shortly after kidnapping him. Yeah, because he's got guts. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you take things back. Mm-hmm. So this is now we're brought to what I like to call the red table scene, and I love this scene because it was everybody just introducing who they are, and what their nationality slash religion is. Hi, and they uh, introduced an FBI agent narration for no reason. All yeah. of a sudden, uh, the narration changes to, I assume, what it sounds like an FBI agent as d- description. Of- yeah, well, they're going over the uh, the nicknames of the guys and stuff, right? Like, yeah. it's sort of introducing all the uh, local... The Greek. Bob the Jew, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had no to laugh one moment, Phil. I had to laugh at it because it's like those aren't really nicknames. That's just describing who you are. Yes, yes, Phil. No, but then you get to the last guy and see Duke Mitchell spits out the guy's name. It's some Italian guy. It's like, but he's also known as Meatball. <laughs> oh, I love Meatball. It's 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 funny because there was recently like a, a Philadelphia mafia case because the mafia is still a thing. Uh, and one of these people I follow on Twitter, uh, Nick, Nick Eusen, um, he's into the mafia, still just like documenting them. Um, and he says basically what it is now is just um, it's entirely comprised entirely of guys who could almost certainly make a safer and more lucrative living with a normal legal job. Yet their desire to kiss their boys and have a funny nickname ultimately wins out. And it is. It's uh, one of the guys just arrested is uh, Tony Meatballs. And there's Joey Electric and Louis Sheep. <laughs> <He's> a, <laughs> nice. He just love having the nicknames. Yeah. Louis yeah. the Sheep. That's not a good nickname to have. That means you follow someone. No. Yeah. Sheep in any term is never good. Yeah. So. Yeah. I always remember the um uh in that movie 24 Hour Party People when uh Tony Curtis is it Tony Curtis? Is that his name? Um the character Tony Wilson. Tony Wilson is introducing all the people at the Sex Pistol gig, and, and then they gets like, and then there's Bill the Postman. He's a postman. <laughs> Great, I love that movie. Um, okay, so now um, basically they go around and they all decide. Like my favorite line is like, "How do we even know it's his finger? I know it's his finger. I see it every day." <laughs> I wrote that one down. I also wrote that, that one like, down. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's his finger all right i've seen that it on him a million times I, I saw it on him on the, all the time yeah yeah uh okay so chrissy where do we go from there from the finger um catch me up sorry i'm i'm uh phil take over if you want yeah phil okay uh we're at the wedding oh well, but even before the wedding it's okay. one guy is like Sorry, one guy at the table is like, we can't, we can't let these guys just get away with it. You can't just let somebody kidnap somebody. And they're like, no, no, we're going to give them the money. It's fine. We, we, we got to look out. If we can't look out for our bosses, what kind of organization are we? 
Um, so, so they decide to pony up the money, even though one guy is like, this is bad news. You can't just let these guys do what they want. And this guy turns out to be correct, but <laughs> very correct. So yeah, the wedding, they cut to the wedding and do they explain whose wedding that is? Like yeah, who they do? It's, it's the sons of the guy miss now missing the finger. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is there's actually some good foreshadowing set up when they explain the whole bread tradition, which I didn't think was real mm-hmm. but i mean like why are they like spending five minutes to grind a movie to a halt be like listen the bread is the most important thing in italian history when you when a son gets married the father cuts off the slice of or the son cuts out the slice of bread and gives it to the father to show that he's always got to pay his father back and then he reaches into the bread and there's a gift inside of it and i'm like what yeah, you think these conversations are pointless and, and, and what they choose to focus on um, <laughs> is crazy. But, he does focus uh, on some pointless things, but this <laughs> one not so. Especially <laughs> not so. And then it pays off. And, and then it actually, like, there's a payoff to that bread story in the last scene. Yes, Kit? Uh, just just a funny thing about uh, the actor who plays, I think is uh, Chuck, is the uh, yeah. uh, Tripoli. He's the yeah. uh, he's the um, Ducky. Oh, that they kidnap and take his finger and ransom yeah. to his family. Uh, you see him at the wedding with the bandage on his finger, mm-hmm. and then I notice for the rest of the film they just avoid having his hand in the shot because <laughs> he's in a lot of the film. It's just he's always like doing things one handed, and he has his hand just like tucked away over here or there, so you never have to see that he's missing a finger. Chrissy. A fun fact is the woman playing the wife in that scene is actually Duke Wellington's wife at the time. I don't know if they remained married, but that was his actual wife. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you mean the, br- the brunette at the table? Yeah, the one playing the, yeah, the bride, I guess. Yeah. Oh, the bride. I thought you meant the, the prostitute that, that Duke Mitchell picks up at the wedding. Mm. No, no, the, the one that played the bride whoever her name character was. But uh, I just want to quickly point out before we get to the, the plot, I, I, the song choices, the music choices, because obviously yeah. Duke contributed a lot. He sang a lot of the songs. Yeah. But then the other sort of song choices when like the weird folk guitar music played during the violent massacre scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh, then the song at the wedding that they sing about pasta. Yes, when he actually shouts out rigatoni and then follows it up with spaghetti, I'm like, oh, my God, this is the most Italian stereotypey song ever. It's it's a song about pasta. Uh, rigatoni. I mean, was that a real song? Uh, probably a lot of a lot of the songs that Duke Mitchell used were like traditional Italian songs from the 20s, specifically uh, Italian-American songs from the, the great immigration wave of the early 20, 20th century. Um so it wouldn't surprise me if that was an actual song that was sung uh, that got that he incorporated into it. All the pastas. Yeah. Uh, what happens next, guys? Who wants to, to fill us in? Um, well, did we mention that it was a $1 million ransom? It was a quarter of a million dollar ransom. Oh, I thought it was a $1 million. Okay, quarter of a million. That's still a lot. Yes. Especially <laughs> 74 in- money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just for inflation. Essentially, it's a million dollars now. But okay, so yeah, they're having this wedding. Um, the the capo that they kidnap, and then the balls, the balls on our boy, and his uh, his and Jolly, mm. just the massive balls on these two. They show up at the wedding. Yes, they just waltz right in. Yeah, yeah. They waltz right in. Goes right up to the guy he kidnapped, 
sits down in his wife's chair <laughs> and tells him, hey, how's the finger? <laughs> yeah. First he goes and kisses the bride. Yeah. Oh, right. You know? I forgot about that. Which is his wife. I guess now we know. Well, yeah. still, but in, in the <laughs> movie, yeah. it's a pretty ballsy move. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he basically says, like, hey, I'm here to bring a gift to the uh, to the to the to the kids, to the bride and groom. And it's the, it's the money that he, that they ransomed him for. Yeah. And all of a sudden Chuck is like, you know what? I like you. This yeah. I can't get over. And he points to his like, finger, like I can get over losing a finger, but I like what you're doing. And I'm just like, this is insane. That's insane. He would get <laughs> shit. Sure. But he's, he has the line. Uh, he's like, Oh yeah, I see you lost a finger, but you gained a right arm. Like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Duke does know how to turn a phrase. Um, and so we also see there's some tension amongst the other mafia people where some people want to like fight Duke, Duke Mitchell on site, but everyone's like, no, it'll be a bloodbath. Like there's, you know, too many people here. So let's talk about how this wedding scene was shot. Cause this film was incredibly low budget. Um, do any of you guys know the story behind this? Obviously not. No, I just know that Duke Mitchell paid out of pocket for this movie. Yes. So in order to get what extras for the wedding, Mitchell sent out real wedding invitations. Most of the people <laughs> thought they were there for going to a real wedding. And so he filmed, he had food, he had all this stuff. And what he did was they, a lot of them actually brought presents for the, cause they assumed it was like some extended family. So they brought presents. He kept the presents and sold them to, <laughs> for more funding for the movie. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, that is rude. That's a lot. I mean, <laughs> yes, at the wedding, the people singing, the couple singing the song, like if you watch the wife and everything, she doesn't know what's going on. She's no. kind of barely singing along and yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, the old lady. Yeah, she's she's having to dance with the MC and stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 So they probably had a good time. Probably ate some spaghetti. But uh but yeah, like I like I gotta say, like that that just is what pushes Duke Mitchell into from being just a wannabe into a legend. Like that he actually like convinced people, no, this is a real wedding. But I'm like, they must've sent out generic names and people would have been like, I guess that's, that's Vito's kid. (laughs) Italian families, right? I mean, they don't want to be impolite. Is that that Sandra's girl that's getting married? Yeah, that must be it. Let's go. They don't want to bring a wedding. Yeah. Awesome. Turn in a wedding. And of course, guess, uh, does this give Tommy Wiseau a run for his money because he is well known for being, you know, the one who wrote, funded, directed, acted in the room, and I, uh, Duke Mitchell kind of one up him here, mm-hmm. and, and well, by doing the music as Duke, well and doing it first. Duke Mitchell is much more competent than Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, I think we should say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> by the way, Chrissy, I realize you have not been exposed. To the genius that is John DeHart. Oh, I was just, he beat me to it, Graham. Oh my goodness, no, but now I am intrigued. You still have a DVD player. I have a DVD to lend you. It's for a movie called Gidevin. Gidevin. Which we're not mispronouncing. They didn't put a space between Git and Even in the title. And John DeHart, again, is a writer, producer, financier, actor, director, and he sings three songs on the soundtrack. But wow. unlike, Duke, unlike Duke Mitchell, who was a professional singer, John DeHart is none of those things. <laughs> no. Oh, he's, he's a middle-aged trial lawyer who decided he wanted to be an action star. 
But I love film, damn it! So he's gonna sing three songs. Exactly, and I I, I love him for it. I I celebrate Gidibin with all my heart. But let's go back to Gidibin's in quotation marks for some reason. Yeah, it's like Gidibin. It was the first first title of the movie too. I gotta write that one down. And sorry, what was the director's name? John (laughs) DeHart. DeHart. All right, I'm gonna go on a binge. H-A-R. As much as I can take. <laughs> oh, you'll be sh- singing the shimmy slide in no time. Oh, the shimmy slide. That's, yeah. that's his signature song that he performed in the movie. Look, looks terrified as he's performing it. Just yeah. like Real deer in the his eyes as he's performing the song. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, stop talking it up so much, guys. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing. As, as much like uh, I always have a battle between Kit and Phil. I am sincere in my love of Gidevin because I'm just like, I, I like this guy made choices and stuck with them. So, <laughs> so like I, I celebrate Gidevin. I don't, I don't come here to bury it. Uh, but let's go back to Master Mafia style. Yeah. So yeah, after so- this wedding, now he's set up with the mob. Uh, where do we go from there, guys? Kit? Just at the wedding. So Chuck decides, he says uh, this great turn of phrase. Uh, um, he's just going to let the balls um, lay where they are, which I've never heard before. Let the balls lay where they are. Um, and then, yeah, there's this uh, this girl who uh, who the other mafioso guys. You said she was a prostitute. I I wasn't I didn't I wasn't aware that she was a prostitute. She's a well, he takes goes home with her and he says like oh he, yeah. but he how he comes on to her is he basically I think like grabs her by the uh, yeah he he grabs What's her that a five letter word. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's like oh you you're a madman. Um, well, I remember him saying, I'm going to stay with you. And she was like, you are? And he's like, how about it? And then she's like, well, I guess we'll see. And, and he's like, like yeah, how about the next two weeks? I'm staying with you. Mm-hmm. All right. And so he's then like, they go home together and, and some loving occurs. And uh, then she's with him for the rest of the film. Um, so then where do we go from there? Is, it, is that after the scene where we meet the uh, the uh, the pimp and the prostitute in the that's the following scene. Yeah, we're now we're at the yeah. brothel or the 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 who house. It just looks like a party, but it's it's really weird because there's only like one girl there, and she's working for a pimp. But this is where it gets super racist, by the way. The pimp's mm-hmm. old lady. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's no denying there's racism in this movie. Uh, I can't deny it. I can't say it was fine at the time. It pro- it was not. Um, but then again, I also had to think like. In all the films I've seen in the last little while, this is not the skeeziest. I also watched this movie from Italy called The Blood Spattered Bride. So uh, so this ain't nothing compared to that. Yes, Kit? Also, if he's, if he's going for an accurate portrayal of these uh, dirtbag mafia guys, yeah, they're probably all pretty uh, uh, yeah. racists. Yeah. That's yeah. The, that is the other issue, too, is that Duke Mitchell said when, he, when, like, when it came to Massacre Mafia style, he didn't want to make an icon. Um, and I mean, he even kind of puts that up when he has, there's that whole, um, discussion when he's sitting at the table saying like, the Italians haven't been disgraced. You and me, Chucky, we're the disgrace. I love, I love that he turns on his own image all of a sudden. He has a philosophical turn where he's like, actually, we're the bad guys in this film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Duke Mitchell, like the whole point of making this movie is he was like, when he saw the Godfather, he was so outraged because he's like, mafiosos aren't, there's no honor and tradition. Like there's, they're thugs with guns that are like either you give me a cut or I shoot you. And like, I'm not trying to defend the film's racism because it is very racist, 
but I just don't know. Maybe that was on purpose. Yes, Chrissy. I was just saying he goes on several speeches. Like the one of my favorites mm-hmm. is the one where he goes on about old it- Italian moms and how yeah. they're oh, God. like oregano. Mm-hmm. And he goes on this huge soapbox speech about how Italian women um, and how they used to be and how we're, we've let them down and how, yeah. Um, and all, all the while he's giving that speech, he's holding this old woman's finger. <laughs> like, That's very nice, dear. Thank you. I'll go. Uh, I'm going to go in the house now. That's his mama. <laughs> he definitely used this movie as um, a platform mm-hmm. to speak a lot about Italian stereotypes or... or so, yeah, I guess so. Mind. Yeah. But he also, I think, enjoyed, I don't know, it's, uh, you know... A bit of both. I think he was uh, getting off on playing a mafia guy who got to shoot a bunch of people and blah blah blah, and then and then also turn to the camera and be like, you know, we're actually the, uh, the yeah. bad guys. We're the ones who are disgraced. So he gets to be both guys. Like he's he's really trying to have it both ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Uh, part of that speech, um, because the the Los Angeles outfit that are a diverse group, mm-hmm. and he uses he seems to be pretty sore about. Uh, Okay, yeah. us Italians, us Sicilians, uh, we um, the stereotypes stick to us, but you know they don't think of Greeks or Jews as mobsters. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, us or even like other Italians, he's like the Calabrese and stuff the like Calabres, that. Yeah, yeah. Although the interesting thing is that I think during the Prohibition era, it was the Jewish gangsters that were like mostly involved in the illegal booze trade. So like. Mm-hmm. Well, Killer Inc. Um, or Murder Inc. Sorry, just a, a bunch of uh, Jewish guys, right? Mm-hmm. They were the big uh, hit squad yeah. of the twenties. Yeah. Okay, so we've got, we've gone far off track. We got to get back to this movie. Um, okay, well we're at the pimp scene. How, how do yeah. you uh, describe that? Uh, it's kind of weird. Um, yeah. Yes, very awkward. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't know what I don't it does. Why the woman wasn't the woman there for? the men i don't it's it's odd because she was the pimp's old lady however he she was out hanging out in negligee and you're just like okay what are you doing out here if you're not you know quote unquote up for sale yes kit well essentially the the scene is just to set up this this guy who who comes in later in the film mm-hmm. um because uh that's when um what's his name duke uh, Mimi, he comes in and he calls him Super Spook for the first time, and then and later on, that name just kills me. No, it's it's awful. <laughs> I can't say it out loud. And this guy is tall. I mean, the fight scene between these two is very. I when when Duke's trying to hold the gun up to this guy and seem intimidating. Yeah, he's way up there. It's just really hilarious. And um, and I guess I mean it, a number of years are about to pass. But I, how would you describe um, Jolly and and uh, Mimi's uh, business practice? Is basically just to run around shoot guys uh, who never see the uh, shooting coming, mm-hmm. uh, and then I guess just take over. That's how they that's how they roll. And they even have a saying that keeps on occurring. It's like tonight we eat, tomorrow we shoot. Yeah. The, <laughs> the first time they say that that leads to some like because i don't know where they start shooting guys with shotguns and i'm like man like there's no subtly like that wasn't subtext <laughs> that was just like tonight we eat and they're eating and then tomorrow we shoot and then literally the next shot is bam they kill yeah. a bunch of people in toilets i, I think that's, that's good editing way. though yeah. oh that's yeah okay phil, sorry phil say that again good editing though he always has energetic editing like mm-hmm. 
granted, Gone with the Pope was never finished. And so the version we saw was actually edited by the Oscar winning editor behind the Hurt Locker. So, yeah, we should. We, I also need to point out that Bob Murawski, the, the guy who uh, discovered Duke Mitchell and f- went to his family and found the, the prints of these films of Masker Mafia style and Gone with the Pope, although Gone with the Pope wasn't an a- edited together at all, it was just random footage. Uh, he, he is uh, a long term, well known. Uh, editor in Hollywood. He edited all of, all three uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. He edited The Hurt Locker. He's edited for, <clears throat> I mean, it's, I think he, he edited for the Coen Brothers as well. Like, he, like this film has some, let me just look this guy up because I just want to, like, we should give out some shouts to Bob Murawski. He also, um, uh, he runs Grindhouse Releasing, which is, uh, which put, which restored this film and put it out. They also restored and put out Pieces, which is the best Spanish film ever set in Boston, shot in Madrid. Um, yeah, he also uh, edited Oz the Great and Powerful. He edited the 2015 remake of Poltergeist. Uh, and he edited, he actually edited for Orson Welles. He was the guy that was hired to edit The Other Side of the Wind from 2018. Oh, saved Orson Welles. I haven't film. seen that. Yeah. Um, and he, of course, is the current distributor of Cannibal Ferox, uh, which we watched ages ago, back in episode nine. We also uh, watched Pieces. Oh, yeah, and we did watch yeah. Pieces and The Beyond. He, he, well, he yeah. never edited that, but he released The Beyond. Um, he also restored and released Lucio Fulci's Cat in the Brain, I Drink Your Blood, which we haven't done, but we have to. It's an awesome movie. Cannibal Holocaust, which we will never do. Uh, Gone with the Pope. <laughs> you considered it. <laughs> I did, but then I thought better of it. Um, Gone with the Pope, An American Hippie in Israel, Corruption, The Big Gun Down, the swimmer and of course massacre mafia style. Um, so he's done a lot of work. Him and his initial partner was Sage Stallone, Sylvester Stallone's son. They worked really hard in the nineties to acquire these films that were considered like on the brink of being lost, restoring them and releasing them, especially in the case of the beyond, which is one of my favorite films. Like he he's doing the Lord's work. Um, so back to massacre mafia style. I just wanted to quickly interject so that perhaps you may not feel so bad about the name super spook. According mm-hmm. to Wikipedia, or that is the actual name of that character. It's, well, it's in caps, is his actual name is Super Spook. It, but I, I still get the sense that it's a. Uh, oh yes, for sure. But I mean, that is that. That's just the only name that that character was given. So that's that's the only way to understand that character. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, the the film kind of moves along. As I say, I think uh, because of this uh, this issue with that pimp or something like that, they're like, well, we're gonna. That's when the shotguns come out and a bunch mm-hmm. of uh, another killing montage happens. And then um, somehow or other, they're, they're at um, Chuck, Chuck Tripoli's place. This is when he does the whole speech where he holds the woman's hand yeah. uh, finger and says, uh, talks about the Italian mothers. This is also where he has the speech about um, uh, the Italian hasn't been disgraced. You and I have disgraced him. He's talking to Chuck about this. Um, and then he also lets slip that his son is 17 now. Mm-hmm. So this must be 11 years after he came to L.A. first off. So now he's 42. He's mm-hmm. Now he's 42. Um, hey, so I, so I, confusing. Yeah. <laughs> it really um, is. He also says something, ama- he has a really good, amazing line in it, which is like, if I'm going to be known as a killer, I'm going to show you how to kill. Like, <laughs> <Yes>. What? <laughs> Perfect line. I mean, while we're on the topic of lines, the other reoccurring line that I think everybody has a turn saying is, you're either in or you're in the way. Mm-hmm. Says that to, um, basically the tagline. It is the tagline. 
No. He says that to Chuck's wife when she's like, well, yeah, why don't you get out of my life? And he's like, you're either in or you're in the way. And I'm like, I don't think she wants to be in with you, man. <laughs> she's nope. menacing her family. <laughs> and, the, and the father, the, the Patron, says it a couple of times, too. So mm. the, the plot line gets really kind of hazy. I don't know if it was for you, you guys here, but it, yes, it, it gets muddled. Like, I'm not yeah. even sure what's really going on or who's going against who. Mm-hmm. Um, Is this the boat scene? Like the scene where they're on the boat? Oh, right. Because they, they have, he has to stop killing. No, what happens is, is his father tells one of his guys in Sicily, like go there and tell him to stop killing. And so they do that. And then they wind up on a boat where they're producing a pornographic film? Yeah. This yeah. is actually, yeah, we missed the one thing where a guy is watching TV and it's basically the uh, the, the Joe Colombo thing. Uh, oh, where yeah. Oh, the TV show. Of Sicily de- Defense yeah. League. Uh, they're trying to like, oh, you know, the Italian has been defamed and blah, 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 and this whole so-called mafia stuff. It's all just made up to make the Italian look bad. And then he gets shot right in the face while the cameras are rolling. <laughs> I literally like, what? What? <laughs> But and, and they're like, uh, they're basically like, oh, Mimi, Mimi's gone too far. He, he's got to stop doing this. And then he gets his friend. Who's his friend again? Um, oh. Bones. Oh, Bones. Yeah. Bones, so and 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 like, Bones, I love you. And then Bones slaps him around. Just slaps yeah. him around. Oh, the tough love fight. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that was amazing. Where Bones comes in and gives him some tough love. And then he's like, I'm going to give you $50,000. To so just you know, you know, your life. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, Bones. Mm. Amazing. Right. It's an amazing thing. But then, yeah, so they're on the boat. Yeah, and they, this is another great, amazing thing with the director. The whoever was filming, I don't know if it the director is kind of um, the man directing the scene, his commentary that yeah, great. That was very the most lethargic uh, <laughs> director of all time. <laughs> So enthusiastic, but then the guy who yeah. was like, "You're in the way. We're mm-hmm. shooting a film here." Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So they're on the boat, basically just explaining. And this is where Deep uh, Duke Mitchell's character Mimi uh, brings up uh, his concept of like, "I want to produce, direct, distribute my own film, not be beholden to these clowns." And we're gonna call it Deep Thought. It's about two guys who get together and give each other great mind. I don't know what he was going for with that. Instead of head, mind. Yeah, deep thought. Can deep I thought just need to interject that. that there's an underlying, I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but the relationship between Mimi and Jolly is pseudo-homosexual. They kiss twice. Well, that's just a mafia guy thing. They kiss on the mouth, like, but I guess that might be just a mob thing. But They, they just love kissing each other. They kiss and uh, and then there's that narration bit where they talk about the time they spent together, where they drank a lot, they slept together. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of confusing things about the nature of his relationship. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's part of that is Italian, just like you're closer with your best buddy than you are with your own wife. Okay, so there wasn't anything. Mm-hmm. Yes, Bill. He's always particularly affectionate with his dog. Oh, oh my yeah. Well, isn't that that thing where, like, Duke Mitchell at one point says, like, Jolly loves three things. His dog, the food, and me. Yeah, I guess Normal. there's a bit of a... Normal for your best friend to only love those three things. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And wasn't there, there, there was that scene, I'm getting ahead, of where the dog, the dead dog in the box, which was supposed to mimic the horse head in the bed scene from The Godfather. Yeah. That seems yeah. like that was what they were doing. Yeah. 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 So I don't know how we, I can't even quite remember how we get from uh, Duke being like a producer of porno films on speedboats. Mm-hmm. To him trying to get back into the life by taking down um, the head pimp of uh, Beverly Hills, uh, our old friend Super Spook. Well, um, no, because he wants to get access to his girls. Ah, that's and right. He decides, like, that guy's got 40 white girls. We can just go in there and, and like, get rid of him and take over his operation. And, and this so- is where we get to that, that scene that we were t- discussing earlier where, like, they're they're trying to talk, they're trying to talk Super the. SS, we can call them. Uh, they're, they're trying to get him to, uh, you know, kind of go in with them. And then all of a sudden, they their speech turns and they're like jive talking. and Yeah. yeah. Um, and so and then they wind up crucifying him on Easter where yep. they like. Yep. <laughs> so he walks out and they're like, OK. Yeah, I love the line where they're like, don't worry, we're going to nail him. We're going to. Na-. And they literally mm-hmm. nail him. Yes. Yes, that was. Uh, mm-hmm. And this montage gets very psychedelic, almost East, Easy Rider level editing. <laughs> yes, with the orchestra and the choir yes. singing, mm-hmm. and then the shots back, different angles of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and we should also point out in this shot, we also get a really good look at the deteriorating Los Angeles sign in 1974, which was just starting to fall apart. It was already rotted through. And it was in 19, I think it was 77 or 79 when it totally just fell apart and they had to replace it. So fun fact, yeah, the the Hollywood sign now is, uh, initially it was a wooden sign built in the 1920s to, um, to, uh, to, to, as a real estate advertisement for Hollywood land or Hollywood land subdivision. And then the land part fell down. And so they just removed that and left up Hollywood. And then by the late 1970s, it had like, not many of the original letters were left standing. It was pretty much just deteriorated. There was a fire there. It was struck by lightning. And so they replaced it with, uh, with, with a sheet metal sign, which has lasted till this day. Um, Alice Cooper actually contributed one of the O's in it. I think he paid for it. And um, what else? And, oh yeah. So the, the current Hollywood sign is actually smaller than the original Hollywood sign. So that Hollywood sign that we're seeing there is the original large one. Yes, Kit. Uh, I just, we missed a bit, but I just want to go back and... and oh, what did we miss? Uh, just, like, they have to go take down a, a Greek guy or something like that. I, I can't even remember why. And they walk into his office, and they're like, what are you guys here for? And they're like, we're here to kill you. Greek. And he's like, you yeah, gotta be joking. Me. And then he's like, you know what? I'm gonna toss you guys out of here. And then he brings oh. in his friend. Yes, the big Japanese fellow. <laughs> the big Japanese fellow, and he's like... Uh, do that thing. And all the man does is karate chop the cheapest looking coffee table you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And then they just shoot that guy. <laughs> and then, well, I love how they were just after it, um, Mimi turns to Jolly and he says like, I'm out of bullets. You got any left? And Jolly's like, yeah, I got two. And Mimi's like, give it to that guy. And they shoot. <laughs> Nobody else in this film has guns. Like these guys just are they yeah. just walk around shooting people. Nobody ever fights back. So, yeah, the pimp attacks him with a knife in that other scene, right? And, and when you... Oh, got, yeah. Like, what, what are you expecting here? It's America. Everybody's supposed to have a gun. Um, <laughs> and so they, they crucify the pimp, and this is what sets off. There's a hit placed on him, 
And this is when he's like, there's a hit placed on me. All right. That means I didn't know who to trust. He said in the voiceover, it was, I didn't know who to trust. So I decided to kill everybody. Yes. Which is, yeah. And this Jeez. is what the galaxy brain stuff right there. This is what brings us back to the start of the film with um, where they just, we go through the massacre and they kidnap the guy, the, the son of the guy who they had kidnapped earlier. Well, they go to they, the meat, they go to the meat place and oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. hook the guys. This with is where we get the eye trauma where the guy's head. Gets. Yeah. And the freeze frame on that yeah. was great. Mm-hmm. Really great. Yeah, yeah. So, so just because we, we all piece together six thoughts. Yes, Phil. The real, cause the reaction of the butcher, he's just nonchalantly like slicing like various like hawks of meat. And then, you know, the slaughtered guy just shows up and you just see his reaction and then the freeze frame. Yeah. So the slaughtered <laughs> I don't guy, get paid enough for this. <laughs> so the slaughtered guy is on a is on a meat hook on a automatic rotator, which they would use to send through big hunks of beef to be cut up into steaks and chops and whatnot. And so that's where like the 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 hook actually went through the guy's eye, which is where we yeah. get our eye trauma from. And then it cuts to a freeze frame just as the, as the butcher is like, oh my God, that's a human. Um, the only time they choose to use that freeze frame yeah. one time mm-hmm. for that death. Yeah. yeah you, you, gotta, you gotta use your freeze frame sparingly, Chrissy. It's the first rule of film. <laughs> well, it's also back then they were shooting on film and doing fin- like finishing to film. So that probably would have been expensive to do a... Um, to do a freeze frame. For instance, fade outs in the 1960, if you want to do a fade out, cost $75 each in 1960. That's crazy. I know. It's, it's like, we have, we have the budget for one. So yeah. we're going to, we're going to use it. Well, we're gonna use, exactly. Well, I remember <laughs> like I was watching um, the DVD of blood feast, Herschel Gordon Lewis's uh, first quote unquote gore film. And in it, uh, I listened to the, um, the commentary track with the producer and the director on it. And there's a scene where there's a fade out and they were both talking about how proud they were that they figured out if we just close the iris on the camera, it'll make its own fade out and we don't have to pay $75. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> All making at its best. Um, right. So back to- but this is where the plot gets a little bit muddled anyway. <laughs> Even more muddled. Yes, Kit? All right. Well, so after the uh, thing, they're, they're pulling out of the meat packing plant and uh wouldn't you know it triple son shows up and he's like hey you're the guy who used to, who kidnapped my father all those days ago how's it going and then they they put him into the truck and i guess they kill him yeah and drop his body in front of his father's house i don't know what their plan is like their plan is basically just to show everybody we got the guts and the balls don't mess with us what was the third thing and the trust trust yeah trust us we got guts and balls there you go <laughs> And of course, after this, then you get the whole like it's almost it's again uh, sort of like the Godfather. What have they done to my beautiful boy? Kind of a scene yeah. where uh, Sonny is shot to hell. Mm-hmm. And so um, the retali- the mafia retaliates against Mimi by killing Jolly, but but first by putting his dog in a box to show to him. Yes, and Jolly's right. Mm-hmm. But can I just say that Jolly's death? I mean. It was very clear that he couldn't, the actor couldn't get the dead eye. Mm-hmm. So you could see how Duke was struggling to keep the sheets, like he wanted to get some of the face to show he's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was struggling to keep the sheets over the eyes because he couldn't deliver factors. But his girlfriend there gets the bathroom scene, could oh, deliver yeah. the dead eye. 
she mm-hmm. she was trying her best. So yeah. I'm in the shower. Um, I do want to point out that, like, uh, I wrote the note here that when people die in this movie, they still tend to breathe. Um, <laughs> a couple times of there being dead bodies still, like, breathing in and out. Um, yeah, so um, Mimi's girlfriend gets killed in the shower. And then... And that's funny. Sorry. Sorry, Graham. No, go ahead, Phil. The, go ahead, Kit. This, I think someone else should describe this, but I love this part. But it's, uh, it's like, this is when he decides to get out first, first. He's got to uh, he's got to take those bastards down, and then we're at the funeral for um, for uh, Tripoli Junior there, Chucky Junior. There's a ticking clock in his in his <laughs> casket, and somebody's like, "What's with the clock?" And he's like, oh, "He was killed at exactly this time, so it's there to commemorate that." Who does that? <laughs> no, no, it's- that's what they assume first. I love that. Um, they're in the mob. There, there's no reason to be suspicious about anything like that. Um, I also love the the crying widows over the the Mm -hmm. casket. Mm -hmm. Very Italian. Go ahead, Phil. This ticking time bomb is so loud and nobody notices. Like, they're just so overcome with their grief. That's... Mm -hmm. Yeah, the wailing... Nobody notices this ticking time bomb on this casket. I was going to say that, like, if you were in the mafia in the... Between the 30s to 70s, anytime you heard a clock ticking, you'd get nervous. So, like, the fact that they're not all just, like, by instinct, be like, oh, my God, it's a clock. Run away. Right. This is like an Acme bomb. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's <laughs> by- that their first assumption is that, oh, they would keep a memento of the time that he died. As you do. <laughs> right? And then the casket explodes, which I yes, love yes. that. It all explodes. Yes. And you think that's the ending, but it's not. No. I also want to point out that, like, uh, <laughs> all the way back to Ed Wood from the opening. So this graveyard, clearly in the wide shot of all the dead bodies, is someone's backyard where they set up some tombstones. Because I'm just like, wow, <laughs> all those gravestones are really close together. Like, I'm pretty sure you can't fit a, a casket between those. Well, I also just randomly point out, relating to the death scene, the hammer horror-esque blood that they used, mm-hmm. that really thick, bright red tomato yeah. soup looking. I enjoyed that. Yeah, that, that was... That a was of, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know if it was supposed to be a nod to how, uh, uh, the hammer horrors, but... No, it was just contemporary. Yeah. Yeah, I should point out that that blood was actually produced by the 3M Corporation, which is also the corporation that developed duct tape. They were there's there's a whole article on like when quote unquote when blood in movies changed, and because um, you actually can't get that type of blood anymore, they basically like 3M just produced that blood by like like thousands of gallons of it at a time. So it was always around for stage blood, and it wouldn't go stale or sour or turn or mold or anything like that, which is why it was used for so long. But it like depending on how you photographed it. Like in certain scenes, it looked good. In other scenes, it would not look good because of depending on how the lights you used mm. and how you lit it. Yeah. It um, always seemed to, at least in those hammer horrors, come out that bright, bright red. Mm-hmm. So. Which is somehow more disgusting in a way. It's like mm-hmm. grosser. Yeah, like melted crayons. So then we go to Sicily. And where does that go from there, Phil? All right, we're back in Sicily and... Uh, <laughs> Duke is, uh, Mimi is reunited with uh, his dad. Mm-hmm. And we get another monologue, uh, probably the longest of the <laughs> soapbox monologues where... Uh, it's about the Godfather, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's 
he's, he's ranting about the Godfather. He's uh, ranting about how the mob's a joke and a disgrace, and we're pissing our way our lives for nothing. And mm-hmm. the hippies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He rants about the hippies. And... Today. Yeah. I should point out that I think that Duke Mitchell misunderstood the free love movement quite a bit. A bit. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. They don't He's like anymore. They're just out there doing it for free. <laughs> Prostitution doesn't even exist anymore. There's no need for prostitutes. <laughs> just do it. Just give it away for drugs. What's wrong with the youth today? Absolutely. I don't know how to make money. <laughs> yeah, you can tell he definitely didn't fit in with contemporary <laughs> culture at the time. Um, and then basically he decides like, yeah, I'm just gonna live here in Sicily, hang out with my boy and my dad. And be great. Yeah. yeah. We see his son. They go, there's a montage of them walking around it like Sicily. And then we go to, we wind up back at a big Italian dinner after his son said, I want to go to law school in New York city or some nonsense. Uh, no, Harvard. He wants to go to Harvard, the Harvard. prestigious Harvard, uh, Harvard yeah. law school. And why doesn't his son have an accent if we, presumably, he grew up in Sicily, did he not? Yes, right? but you so see, the he does not that, have, there's not even an attempt, the father has not Because, because the, because the film wasn't shot in Sicily. <laughs> it's like, I love how in, we were, we were talking on our group chat about Van Damme's accent in uh, Bloodsport, and like, how come he has a, a Belgian accent in, if he was raised in America, and I'm like, I know in uh i think it was double impact or no what which one was it? the one with two van dams um double impact yeah double impact yeah double impact the whole plot is that like at a certain point uh the guy reveals like oh you actually are a twin and you were actually born in hong kong and van dam's like what you mean i wasn't born in france and it's like that doesn't explain why you have an accent <laughs> if you were born in hong kong and raised in california you would not have that accent <laughs> It's like, oh, I thought I was born in France, so I just developed this accent. It's just a natural. It's the way the tongues are made. And, and <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Sen doesn't have a, an accent, but that's fine. Yeah. Uh, and this piece scene is, is my favorite. I just love it. Oh, yes. What scene? This, this feast, the final feast. feast. The last the finale. Yeah. We have another the grand meal. finale. And then they do the whole bread thing. Oh, yes. Just know something bad's going to happen. And it's like, okay, the son throws the bread to the grandfather, and then the grandfather, the father throws the, and well, his father throw, cuts slices of the bread. Yes, Kit? Well, first he's like, uh, he's, he's talking to his father, Don, Don Mimi. Mm-hmm. By the way, we should uh, point out that a lot of the reason why um, uh, Duke wasn't killed earlier in the film is because he's always said, my father did so much for you back in the old days. Uh, and so because of their respect for his father, they don't kill him. That's why he's able to survive so long. So his, his dad, uh, apart from being an old Italian man and apparently a hell of a glass blower, as we learn in another monologue. Oh, yes. Um, you know, my father used to blow glass. And I was like, what? Yeah, it's a whole monologue. And then he gets it. <laughs> and he says, your last name is Mitchell. And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> and the, the things that they Personal keep to focus on and the and things they more- that you can explain. And they forced him to become a fishmonger, and he got his head beat on in every fishmongering corner he went on. I don't know. It's a weird thing. But his, his dad's a big, uh, a big old world mafia guy. So uh, he's like, father, you, you sit at the head of the table. And he's like, no, son, I want to be on your right hand. So they're basically, he's like passing the crown. You're now, you're the man of the family kind of to, uh, to the old Duke, not, not his young um, 20-year-old son. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then, yeah, then the son cuts the bread. He tosses it, you'll notice, not to his father, but to the, uh, to the grandfather. To the man who raised him. Yes, to the man who raised him, who then circles back around. Um, and uh, then what happens, Graham? You might as well. Well, then uh, Don Mimi cuts the bread and tosses it to Duke. But one of the waiters is also holding a loaf of bread. And we get a big old blam. And it turns out that the bre- that baked into the bread was a double barrel shotgun. And that quadruple barrel, quadruple barrel shotgun, quadruple barrel shotgun, and that kills uh, Mimi in front of our eyes in a white suit. By the way, I want to point out that I actually wrote down the note was uh, Duke Mitchell actually can pull off a white suit like very few men can. He did it. I I, uh, I have to admit this was my loudest laugh of the film when he gets shot and the four gun blasts. Um, I also love the reaction. Of everybody, the reactions of the fa- the grandfather or the father is like, <laughs> yeah, like I laughed so the hard. Reactions of everybody that was fabulous too. Betrayed by his own family. I didn't pay attention to the bread dialogues, so I never saw the bread thing coming. Neither did I. Yes, Phil. How would a gun, a sawed-off shotgun, cook bake in an oven? I'm guessing they put it in after i'm guessing it was in there pretty deep i don't know yeah but like uh, you said a bake around it yes yeah yeah um and that was massacre mafia style so uh, <laughs> before we get into our final thoughts i'm just going to run through some uh, some behind the scenes facts um so uh, the film has also been released under the titles of The Executioner and Like Father, Like Son, but Massacre Mafia style was Duke Mitchell's preferred title. Duke Mitchell, of course, sings several songs on the soundtrack, including the opening song and the closing song. And they're all just mwah. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. Frank Sinatra was offered a role in the film because he knew Duke, and his response to Duke was, Duke, I love you, but I get paid real money to do real movies. Fair. So kind of a shaft. Yeah. Um... Uh, if I can add, uh, oh, so the other interesting thing is that when the pimp was crucified on Easter, this was based on a real incident that happened in Las, Las Vegas in the late 1960s. So another rip from the headlines moment. Um, and then in the original treatments for the film, like I was saying, Jolly, uh, Jolly was written as a black man uh, and was meant to be portrayed by Mitchell's friend, George Jacobs. Uh, Duke Mitchell sold his lease on a supper club to raise funding for the film. And I think this is the last note I have. It is um, there was a distribution deal for the film that allowed it to be released in Europe. However, the deal stated that the film could not be shown in North America at all for six years. And then this this distributor changed the title of the film to The Executioner. Now, I'm going to take one moment here because The Executioner, uh, the film was never released on that title. And so a movie that was made quickly and cheaply in the early eighties to uh, play off of the, the success of the film actually was put meant to play off of the success of the exterminator, but they called it the executioner part two, but there is no part one. Uh, sorry to, I use the a visual cue for the people listening. I have an original VHS release of the executioner part two, which left people's heads scratching because there is no part one. Um, yes. Oh, I guess they weren't referring to this film, though. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, 
Yeah, from uh, Marquee Video, the, uh, the, 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 I guess the hallmark of videos. Yeah, this film was released in 19... This is a videotape from 1981 that still plays. Um, and uh, that film was uh, directed by James Bryant, who also made the amazing Don't Go in the Woods Alone. Totally unrelated to the film, but I wanted to bring it up. I like visual cues. Um, so yeah, so that's that's the behind the scenes on Master Mafia style. Chrissy, what did you want to say? I just wanted to add a Duke Mitchell fun fact, which was that he was also the singing voice for Fred Flintstone. In the nice. Film. On the cartoon, yeah. I was just about to, I wanted to mention that as well. That was his uh, previous claim to fame before he started making films was he was the singing voice of Fred Flintstone in the Flintstone cartoons. And it shows, man. He's got a decent voice. He does. Kind of a lizard lounge type thing, but... mm. Did you say lizard lounge? I think you meant lounge lizard. (laughs) Lounge lizard? A lizard lounge lounge lizard. A lizard lounge would be a place I would not want to go. Um, Lizard lounge cool (laughs) jam. Lizard lounge. All right. So, Phil, what are your uh, final thoughts on Massacre Mafia style? Oh, I enjoyed this. I, Although initially I was expecting it to be like a much tighter movie, but it's <laughs> not. <laughs> There's, there are some reliable Duke Mitchell tangents and it's all over the place. But, you know, it's, it's a singularly uh, Duke Mitchell mafia exploitation kind of movie that I don't think can be topped for this kind of uh b movie subgenre and uh also a fun bit of fun sidebar this also came out the same year as the godfather part two so i don't know if duke mitchell was trying to beat uh francis ford coppola to the the theaters with that one i bet he was yeah mm-hmm. but that was intentional kit what are your final thoughts on massacre mafia style uh, I mean, as I said before, this it a lot of this it's it's kind of a bonkers film, which you have to appreciate after a while. As I said before, it's like uh, it's it's the um, the baptism um, uh, montage from The Godfather just stretched out to feature length, basically, with a few uh, different uh, bizarre speeches by uh, by Duke Mitchell thrown in and some singing as well. Um, it's amazing how many people they kill and nobody ever tries to defend themselves or also carries a gun and then when the mafia does try to retaliate against them it's pretty easy yeah <laughs> all they had to do all along was just shoot them <laughs> um but i kind of appreciated the bonkerness of it uh it was fun uh yeah chrissy what are your final thoughts on massacre mafia style well as an introduction to uh duke mitchell um yeah it definitely makes me interested to watch the pope movie his, his other work as well um and yet you just have to enjoy it for what it is uh you're trying to really make sense of the dialogue choices it's something that i just kept saying over and over my head was choices is choices of dialogue is choices of music is just a lot of the choices so um, i'm definitely going to check out more of his stuff (laughs) he makes those choices though yeah, yeah I love that he did that. He definitely had a vision, mm-hmm. and and he had a message and a platform to deliver both those things. Yeah, what, what do you think his message was? Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't really say. There were several. There were several. Several messages. <laughs> several messages. So pick one. Take yeah. your pick. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like this movie. I think it's it, it's it's one of those things. Like, I have to admire Duke Mitchell because he made the he made this movie in Gone with the Pope without any like connection really to Hollywood whatsoever. You said like, he knew Frank Sinatra. He, yes, he knew Frank Sinatra, but Frank Sinatra was like, I'm not going to come within ten feet of this movie. <laughs> um, and he uh, he also like like on this movie he actually had he had a regular cinematographer throughout the entire production. Whereas on Gone with the Pope, it was shot in bits and pieces. But the the thing about Duke Mitchell is like, this wasn't even like a Roger Corman production where like he had an infrastructure. Like this was Duke Mitchell finding the venues, figuring out how to shoot it, doing it all himself, and then trying to convince his crew to go along with it, which he did. So, I mean, I kind of, I have to admire him. Like it's, um, it's, it's admirable what he did. Like, I mean, he just was like, I want to make a movie about the mafia being scumbags. And he did. And he threw in a whole bunch of other weird stuff in there too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So cheers to Duke Mitchell. So that's that's our episode. Uh, so we'll be back sooner rather than later with another episode. Chrissy, thank you so much for joining us on this uh, this episode. Uh, hopefully, we can have you back again. Yes, of course. Okay. <laughs> uh, so for Death by Video, I've been Phil. I've been Kit. Chrissy. And I'm Graham saying be sure to be please thanks for watching. Be sure to be around. We'll see you next time. Stay safe. Good night. Thank you.